From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and humor. For nearly 25 years, Derek Hayes has represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. I'm your host, Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of our show, Derek Hayes. The star of the show. That sounds important. Thank you. Good afternoon, Derek. Good afternoon to you as well. Well, before we begin, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. And by the law office of Derek M. Hayes, injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. All right, well, we're going to jump right into today's show. And I know that one of the main reasons that you started the Injury Insider podcast was to provide an opportunity for you to answer some of the most common personal injury claim questions submitted through your website. You've also been able to use this podcast to correct many misconceptions and myths about those claims. The feedback has been great so far from all the shows, and I think everyone has learned a lot. In today's show... I understand that you want to focus on a few questions that have come from actual clients of yours over the last few weeks based on their cases. I've read the questions for today and I realized that I, I'm ready to learn more too. All right, so we're going to jump right in. Let's go with the first one. Um, I do know that these are questions from actual clients, so we're not going to be able to disclose names. But the first question, tell me, I hope I say this right. What does respondeat superior mean? You nailed it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, respondeat. You, absolutely. Okay. Tell us what that means and why is that something to look for in a personal injury case? Well, I want to ask you a question first. Before you read the phrase respondeat superior today, have you ever heard that? No, I've never heard that. And that's mostly what people tell me. I would I think of respondent. Yeah, and, and there are different, obviously, variations of that. But respondeat superior is a theory under the law. And let's kind of define that first. The Latin definition, the literal definition is, let the superior reply. Okay? And basically what that means, it describes the legal relationship between an employer and an employee for purposes of determining an employer's liability for acts of an employee. Now, I read that definition purposely because that's how it's defined. But basically, the employer is liable for the negligence of their employees. So it can also be referred to many times as vicarious liability. You you may have heard that phrase. But an employee must be in the course and scope of their employment at the time when they commit the negligent act. Meaning that they, uh, if they're on their lunch break, if they've gone to a fast food restaurant and they're, they're off the clock, well, that's not covered under respondeat superior. However, if the boss says, hey, on your way to lunch, can you run by the bank or can you run by the post office? And they're making that trip first while they're en route to the bank or the post office. Well, that is covered under respondeat superior. They're advancing the purpose of the business. And that's the key. They have to be advancing the purpose of the business at the time the, issue, the negligent act occurs. Uh, and specifically, this is found in, in Title 51 of the Georgia Code. 
All right, so why is it important to look for respondeat superior in a case? Uh, it's very important. Respondeat superior is, is important really for the worker and for the victim. And, and what I mean by that, so workers shouldn't be, um, well, they shouldn't have to shoulder the entire blame for the actions they have to take sometimes on the job because of the demands of the boss. And what I mean by that is a speeding delivery truck driver uh, having to speed to meet some imposed deadlines. Um, you know, we used to talk about the, the uh, I can't remember what chain it was. It may have been Domino's or Little Caesars or whichever, but they used to have the 30 minutes or it's free guarantee. You remember that? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Domino's. I, I think it was. Yeah. And so if your pizza was not delivered in 30 minutes, well, you got a free pizza. So that's one of those deadlines and demands being imposed by a boss on an employee who's frantically trying to get to deliver that pizza within 30 minutes. Otherwise, they have to pay for the pizza potentially. So if I remember correctly from the news, what was happening was they were speeding and causing accidents and speeding, tickets. and Right. right. So and they were doing their job and it, not only causing an accident, but even the speeding tickets. Sure. Who's liable? Sure. Driving on the side of the road. There are all kinds of things that delivery drivers were having to do to meet that deadline. And that's why respondeat superior is important to look for in a case. Now, a worker driving a company vehicle with faulty brakes, for example. Well, it's not fair for the, the employee who's not responsible for maintaining that vehicle to be solely responsible for the wreck if the brakes go out. Um, you know, it's the old but for argument. But for the demands of the employer, the wreck may not have happened. We talk about the but for arguments all the time in the law. Now, for victims, they should have the right to seek financial compensation from the employer, well, because there's more insurance coverage there. Um, there are more assets there. If they're catastrophically injured because someone tried to meet a 30-minute or it's free deadline, well, they shouldn't just be able to go after that employer's or that, that employee's uh, potentially very small, limited policy. They should have the opportunity, and they do, thankfully, under respondeat superior to go after the employer's insurance. You know, otherwise, employers could say that they didn't know that their employees were reckless and, and avoid any kind of responsibility completely. It kind of creates an incentive as well for employers to pay attention and hire employees they can trust. Yeah, some other examples, um, say, for example, it's a nursing home, and they have an employee at a nursing home who neglects or abuses a patient. Well, it's not fair for the family of the patient to only be able to go after that specific employee. The employer is ultimately responsible for the conduct, bad conduct, of their employee. Um, you know, in, in law school, we, we learn about a, a hammer case, and I remember this one. I think every law school attendee would probably remember it as well. But say it's a high-rise building and you're walking on the sidewalk, and as you're walking on the sidewalk, a hammer falls and hits you in the head. That would hurt pretty badly and potentially even kill you. Absolutely. But how could you ever identify specifically which employee dropped that hammer when you're talking about a work site with potentially hundreds of employees there? What if it wasn't an employee? What if it had been laid there and the wind came? Well, or, ultimately, I mean, you're right. The employee... Right? negligently set it to a point where it could have fallen or been knocked off. Okay. So if you're limited to being able to go after the employee, you may never identify that person. However, under respondeat superior, you can go after the employer, basically the general contractor for the building, because they are ultimately responsible for the negligent conduct of the employees. Um, you know, another example would be if you're a customer in a store and you're physically attacked by an employee for some crazy reason, whatever it may be, well, then you're not able to just go after the employee. You can also go after the employer. And those are just a few. I mean, there are many examples of where this would come into play. So here's one of my questions as I'm hearing all this. So what's the difference between respondeat superior and a worker's comp claim? 
So workers' comp is when an employee is injured on the job. The actual employee is injured okay. on the job, okay? And that's a way of compensation for them for their injuries. Um, there, there's also, and I don't want to get too deep into workers' comp, but if there's a permanent disability caused by their on-the-job injury, well, they're, they're entitled to something known as a PPD, a permanent partial disability, and ultimately a lump sum settlement. But that's for the employee. Workers' comp does not cover someone who's, uh, an invitee in a business, a customer. Um, that's only for the employ employees, whereas responding at superior is for the customer okay. to be compensated for the negligent acts of the employee, of the employee. Okay. while Thank in the course and scope of their employment. Thank and that's you. that's the key. No, that clears it up. All right. So as an employer myself, uh, I have several people on staff, and it makes me think about what exposure I might have. So what steps should I or any employer out there take to protect themselves? Well, the short answer is to be careful in hiring. Um, you got to think about this. As you hire more people, you got to be very careful. Train your employees very well. Don't skip over that. I know you don't personally. I know you very well. But as an employer, nobody should ever uh, skip the training aspect. It needs to be a major emphasis. Uh, and if you do, um, you know, if there is a potential risk regarding an employee or hiring someone or a risk comes to light, then be ready to fire them and take the appropriate steps if necessary. Um, the reason why I say that a, um, you know, the, the, is the potential additional exposure to the employers related to responding at Superior. You got to remember, you're responsible for whatever that employee does while they're on your clock. So you've got to take that into consideration as you hire, as you train, and as you supervise them. You know, it's an added claim by an injured person uh, that that we call negligent hiring, hiring, training, and retention. So if a an, a plaintiff's attorney proves that it can open the door to what we call punitive damages for the plaintiff. Now, punitive damages are designed to punish someone for bad conduct, meaning that if you can show that the defendant or defendants uh, were extremely bad in their conduct, it's a way of getting additional damages purely to punish them to keep them from doing the same thing in the future. Uh, if you think about a car wreck, for example, DUI, reckless driving, racing, uh, those are all examples, and there are others, of where punitive damages would come into play. So under respondeat superior, punitive damages may be a likely additional way of recovery for negligent hiring, training, and retention. Now, the Georgia Code addresses punitive damages uh, in section 51-12-5.1. We all know that code section. Punitive damage, and I'm going to read it verbatim because I want to. Who's we all? We attorneys. I don't know that. A attorneys. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I guess I should clarify. You know, I tend to talk as an attorney. No, you do. Far and too we often. We all are, are me and everyone listening. We all don't know that you're the attorney. Yeah, my kids used to laugh because I would say, Your sister said you allegedly did this. And they went, What? What, what does that mean? It's how you talk. Because even when you were talking about the but for argument, I wanted to interject. Do you know how many times I've heard that? You say that to me all the time. But that's the but for argument. Well, you know, again, it's that attorney mindset. <laughs> Sometimes I have to step out of that. It's hard to. All right, I'm going to bring it back down to everyone else. All right, guys, he's going to read code that we don't understand. I'm going to read code. Go. This this is the attorney lingo yeah. at, at, at its best. Uh, sometimes called attorney mumbo jumbo. <laughs> but punitive damages may be awarded only in such tort actions in which it is proven by clear and convincing evidence that the defendant's actions showed willful misconduct, malice, fraud, wantonness, uh, oppression, or the entire want of care, which would raise the presumption of conscious indifference to consequences. It's amazing you have that memorized. 
Well, I didn't. I, yeah. I read it, but <laughs> I know the gist of it, and I know when punitives reply, but I don't think anybody really memorizes code sections because we got other things to do with our time. But basically, if there is some extremely bad conduct, as I said, it's a way for a plaintiff to get additional money to punish the defendant or defendants for that bad conduct. Okay. You know, and I kind of a, I'm going to continue that thought for a second. Uh, when you train your employees, take these things in consideration. Have a drug and alcohol policy. Spend time reviewing your safety policies. Uh, frequently review those policies with your employee. Uh, review their work product. Um, you know, we call them reviews for mm -hmm. a reason. Go back over what they've done. Do not put unreasonable expectations in place that may make them cut corners on a work site or, or take sometimes dangerous risk. Those are all ways to, to better train your employee to potentially avoid the negligent, um, you know, negligence imposed by respondeat superior. Another one is negligent hiring. When you hire, don't fail to do a background check. Look at criminal background and, and other issues that may come to light. Um, don't ignore their work history. You know, failure to verify their work history could also open the door to negligent retention. Um, look at red flags in order to fill staffing needs. Like, for example, if somebody has multiple tickets or DUIs or reckless driving uh, offenses and, and convictions, those are all red flags, major red flags. And again, with negligent retention, you have to understand that you may forgive an employee for a bad mistake, but the law isn't as forgiving. Right. You got to take so that into consideration. Yeah, you're putting yourself at risk. Sure. Absolutely. You know, if you think about it in terms of ensuring a, um, say a 16-year-old boy in a convertible souped-up sports car, whatever that may be, well, the insurance rates are going to be astronomical because that's a huge risk mm -hmm. as opposed to a 50-plus man or woman who's never had a ticket driving a, a just a sedan. Um, so that, that, again, comes into play in negligent retention of an employee. Um, you know, what they do in their time off should be a consideration in keeping them on payroll, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all those social media social media platforms. If you got an employee who's got pictures out there of some really bad conduct, or some some things that they um, you know post out there for the public consumption, you got to be aware of that kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, those yeah. are all really good ways too, even in the hiring process. Sure. You know, yes, they work for you. Yes, they represent you. But now we have all this at our fingertips to really yeah. see who we're looking at. And they're free to do whatever they wish in their own time, but you can't really ignore it. If there's something there that's a red flag. I have another question of my own. So as a business owner, and I'm going through this, let's say I hire someone very quickly. I have a position. I need something right on the spot. I don't go through all these channels. I just throw them into position and something happens. What's the liability, even though I didn't know? I didn't do a criminal background check. I didn't do, you know, they've had some DUIs. There's some alcohol issues there. Am I still liable even though I didn't know? Those are called defenses. Okay. What I mean by that is you could still be named in a lawsuit and still be on the hook potentially for the conduct of your employee and your defenses to that lawsuit against you, naming you specifically under respondeat superior, is just what you said. And it's up to a jury to determine whether okay. or not that's a valid excuse. And remember, that, that is so the, the, an excuse. Yeah, the answer is we don't know. Exactly. We don't know. But it's something that, again, you can't cut corners. It's okay. that important. You know, as an attorney, I have to think about this every day. Anything that leaves my office, whether I'm the one that, that signed it, if it's a paralegal signature on a, a very basic letter, or uh, I'll review it very quickly, I'm on the hook for whatever leaves my office. Legal malpractice is a major thing. Yeah. So I have to be well aware of what my staff does and have confidence and trust in them that they can do their job. And I do, uh, very much so. Um, thankfully, I'm blessed with a very 
uh, knowledgeable staff that's been doing this for quite some time. I've worked with them for many years. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. They kind of anticipate what I'm going to say nowadays before I even say it. So they will bring a file to me and already have certain things done that someone who's not familiar with it probably wouldn't have done it. Well, you guys, and I can attest to this, just knowing you all so well, you work as a well-oiled machine. Oh, absolutely. You know, your team, you and your team are absolutely phenomenal. Well, thank you. And yes. then they appreciate that. As I can speak for them. Yeah, they appreciate that as well. Well, this is all very interesting and something that I don't think many people would know without asking. So how about independent contractors on a job site? Talk to us about that. What's well, the liability? Yeah, that's, that's a big distinction. A business is typically not liable for the conduct of an independent contractor because they're not your employee. They're that. They are an independent contractor. However, you can't ignore dangerous conduct of an independent contractor uh, on a work site. For example, if you see something they're doing that's dangerous and you knew or should have known that it could lead to somebody being injured, it could potentially bring you into a lawsuit. Um, yeah, and another kind of a side note to all this is generally an organization is not going to be liable for the negligent conduct of a volunteer for that same reason. They're not an employee, just like an independent contractor. They're not getting a paycheck from you. Um, so just you know, kind of a side note. Okay. All right. I have another client question. So I understand uh, that you had a client that didn't understand something very specific to their case a few weeks ago, and it has to do with DRAM shop laws. Now, I've never heard of this either. So what is it? Explain it. Well, you took my question for you, and that is, have you ever heard that phrase? And most people have it, just like respondeat superior. People go, huh? What does that right. mean? Right. These are legal terms. It, it's legal you know? mumbo jumbo, legal sure. terms. And, and you're right. So dram shop laws are defined in the Georgia Code in Section 51-1-40. Um, very simply, what that means, dram shop, is um, third-party vendors of alcohol, such as restaurants, uh, bars, those kind of things, can be held responsible in a drunk driving wreck. Now, the statute defines two specific scenarios where this applies. Number one, a person under the age of 21, if they're served any alcohol at all, the business can be on the hook or will be on the hook under Dram Shop uh, because that's someone who's not legally able to drink. So it doesn't matter if it's one beer, one mixed drink, or, or two or three. It's the fact that they're under 21 automatically keys and triggers Dram Shop. Secondly would be a person over 21 who is visibly intoxicated. And I'll talk more about that in a second. Really, before we go to the next question, though, you know how I like to give stats. You know how it kind of drives the point home to sure. talk about the real world. So with that in mind, um, the National Highway Tra Traffic Safety Administration, I looked this stat up, shows that 10,000 people a year on average are killed by drunk drivers. Now that breaks down to about 30 people a day nationwide killed by drunk drivers. That's wow, dangerous. I mean, that's, that's a awful. lot. Yeah, of course it yeah. is. It's, it's terrible. Not just one, but 30 a day. You know, you hear about it, but that really puts the context and how big the number is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, Georgia's last reporting year showed 368 alcohol-related deaths from car wrecks in one year. So that's more than one a day. One a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's just Georgia. So another stat that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with that is 24% of deaths in car wrecks are caused by drunk drivers. A quarter, roughly, of the deaths on our roads are caused by drunk drivers. So dram shop laws are in place for a very good reason to try and avoid you know, more drunk drivers out on the roads. 
So while those stats are very scary, I understand the first part of Dram Shop Law regarding kids under 21, but is that the second part? Um, is it difficult to prove? Yeah, well, the under 21 is, is pretty easy, clearly, because sure. they shouldn't be drinking. They're not legally able to. Uh, but the second part, it, it can be difficult to prove, and that's the visibly intoxicated. Um, there are really three elements to proving that part. Number one, the person being served shows signs of intoxication. And I'll kind of get to that a little more in a minute. Number two, the person serving the alcohol knew that the intoxicated person is going to be driving a vehicle. If you think, um, you know, say, for example, a bar, somebody comes and sits at the bar, they toss their car keys there on the bar in front of them, or they reference their car or, you know, something like that. And the, the bartender is aware of the fact that they are going to be driving. And then the th Um, the action that likely causes the wreck that injures someone. So again, those are all three elements to proving that, that second part to the dram shop law, which is someone above the age of 21. Now, this liability can be applied to you know, all kinds of people. Like, for example, I said bartenders, but also think about waiters and waitresses. You know, as you're waiting on a table, hey, anybody want another round? Yeah, sure, sure I'll take another round. And they then probably come back. take more orders of drinks than the bartenders oh, yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah during yeah. the course of a meal. And sure. You know, many of the restaurants nowadays, it, a meal is an experience. It's over an hour, hour and a half, a couple of hours if you've got friends with you and you know, you're, you're making the most of a night together. Hey, let's get another round. Hey, let's get another bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. Let's get another, uh, let's do a shot. Uh, you know, that, those are the kind of things that waiters and waitresses have to be well aware of. Well, think if you're watching a sporting event. There you you're go. You're committing to three hours, three yeah. plus of a football game or a baseball, you know, whatever Absolutely. you're watching, right. you're there. Exactly. And those are all, again, keys for bartenders, waiters, and waitresses. But think about some other areas. A convenience store clerk. Mm -hmm. There you go. Somebody that walks into a convenience store, puts a six pack of beer or a case of beer up on the counter and they're visibly intoxicated. You can't sell that. OK, they're already intoxicated. Yeah, you because I'm can't thinking, sell. well, if they're not, they can walk out. Right, but, right. Okay. No, it's not illegal to simply buy beer. I mean, obviously they wouldn't sell it there. But if it's they're visibly intoxicated and you sell it to them anyway, that can key in the dram shop law issue. Okay. Um, you know, those that serve alcohol in their home. A lot of people don't think about this. Hey, let's come over and sit at the uh, the fire pit. Let's all chat. Let's drink some beer and hang out. And your neighbor, a block or two away, they drive over or uh, you know a few miles away. Oh, I'm not driving that far. Yeah, give me another beer. Oh, I'm not driving that far. Let's have some more wine. And you sit for hours on end chatting and watching a sporting event, sitting around the fire pit. Well, that could key a dram shop issue for the homeowner that was aware of the fact they were drinking and let them drive. You know, there's also something called social host under the law. Well, what's a social host? That's what I figured you would ask. Social well, host is is kind of a, it, it's a catch-all term kind of. It, it could include uh, somebody's home, the party there. It could be a wedding party, a graduation party, a hotel event, an office party. All of those are social host environments. Uh, the liability in these cases really revolves around the idea of somebody being visibly intoxicated, like we talked about. Um, and, and I referenced this before. So to, to kind of go a little far, farther into the definition of visible intoxication, you think of things of somebody uh, having difficulty walking, for example, uh, or slurred mm -hmm. speech or bloodshot eyes or dozing off. You know, a lot of times people get so drunk, they start to doze off. So I'm going to interject here because what if you're the waitress, bartender, any of those professions serving alcohol, 
you know how much they've had to drink and yet they don't show any of these. They are one of those kind of people, they hold it really well even though you know they've probably had more than they should. That's not an excuse. Right. That is not an excuse. If you were to serve someone six beers in a matter of, say, an hour and a half at a restaurant, that's that you knew or should have known argument about the dram shop issue. You know, if somebody causes a car wreck and they do a field sobriety test and they fail, and in, in looking in the car, the police officer finds a, a receipt from a local restaurant. And on that receipt, they have, uh, you know, the entree. They have an appetizer and they have six beers. And that's the only person, just one person, mm-hmm. that same guy that just caused this wreck who's now failed a field sobriety test. Well, bingo, there's your trigger. There, again, can, can bring in that dram shop issue because they knew or should have known that the person would be intoxicated. You know, that comes down to training. I referenced Mm -hmm. that earlier with respondeat superior. Bartenders, waiters, waitresses have to be trained in what to look for in over-serving. Over-serving or serving someone who is visibly intoxicated to begin with. All right, so so let's go back into it because I want to finish up social hosts, right? So you're saying visible intoxication is not a factor when you're talking about someone under 21, correct? No, it's not. That that part's not necessary. We threw that out already. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, they're a minor. Right. People talk about the BAC, the blood alcohol content. If it's point zero one, zero zero one, you know, just a very small amount of alcohol, but yet they confirm, yeah, well, I was at... uh, whatever restaurant or whatever bar and yeah they gave me a beer well there you go that's dram shop right there because they're under the age of 21 so their blood alcohol content is not a factor at all it's their age and i feel like a lot of restaurants bars they know you know i've i've worked in the restaurant business all you know through college and even after and you i remember going through this training but we never called it dram shop i've never heard that terminology yeah yeah again it's a legal term and i don't know that restaurant managers or um, bartenders that are trained necessarily go through the terminology uh, and whether they hear the terms or not th- they are or should at least be exposed to what to look for in, in a visibly intoxicated person or over serving like we talked about well they're going to hear it if they get in trouble for yes, they right are. and yes, something they happens are. and they're going to have to hire an attorney right and right and i'm not going into the criminal aspects at right. all on this I, I don't want to but you know they can even be arrested potentially for some uh you know problems related to their uh, serving or over-serving that, that, that person. Now, we kind of got sidetracked for a minute, but I want to go back to something that is specific to me uh, that I have to think about as a parent of a graduating high school senior That's this it. year. Yes. Yep, my youngest is is flying the, the nest, so to speak. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of graduation parties that go on even now while we're socially distancing. Um, so with that in mind, parents are liable if a kid drinks at their home and causes a wreck. Now, that doesn't just mean their own kid. That means any other kid that comes to the house to hang out. So if mom or dad thinks it's kind of cool to buy their graduating senior a six-pack of beer or have a keg or a case or whatever it may be, now don't you go driving away, son, daughter. Don't you dare get behind the wheel. But yet the friends come over and mom knew or dad knew or should have known that the buddies are also drinking. Well, guess what? That can trigger the dram shop issue, and they will be on the hook Again, it doesn't matter what the blood alcohol content is. If they're under the age of 21 and that kid leaves that house with any alcohol in their system and they cause a wreck, that homeowner is now on the hook. Yeah. Well, why is that something to look for in a personal injury case? Well, as a personal injury attorney, I look for that all the time because it adds more insurance coverage, kind of like responding at Superior. It adds more coverage for someone that's been injured by a drunk driver. It opens the door also to the punitive damages. 
the damages designed to punish someone for egregious or bad conduct. Uh, it can be used to punish the business for putting someone on the roads that they knew or should have known was intoxicated. We talked about the statistics and why it's important to keep those people off the roads. You know, it also should be a tremendous deterrent uh, for a business to continue to serve someone to simply make additional profits when they can face the legal responsibility of that extra beer, that extra shot, that extra mixed drink. Um, you know, if a business has a history of over-serving their customers, um, it can also lead to a much greater recovery for my clients in a personal injury claim. If I can show they had a history of over-serving, a history of other people leaving that establishment, having been over-served and causing car wrecks, well, again, those are the things I look for. If I can show three or four wrecks in a span of time where somebody left there drunk, I guarantee you I'm going after that business without a shadow of a doubt. You know, even if it's one time, yeah. it doesn't matter. Wow. All right. So we've covered a lot today. Yeah. And, and both of these topics, respondeat superior and dram shop laws, are areas that must be explored following any kind of personal injury claim. You know, I've done this for almost 25 years now, and I can't count how many times I've been able to put substantially more money in my clients' pockets by simply doing the work. And that's it. you got to do the work. Uh, these are many times ignored by other attorneys or firms or, quite frankly, they just don't take the necessary time to talk to their client, learn more um, than what they see on a police report. If I simply look at the police report and there's no reference to it, but my client says, yeah, that kid that was driving the car that hit me, I noticed after the car wreck he got out and he started pouring some beer down the, the storm drain. And then he tossed the empty bottles over into the, the woods. Well, did you tell the police officer? No, I didn't tell the police officer about it. But yet there were two or three eyewitnesses that also saw that happening. Well, i got to find out where that beer came from. Those yeah. are things to look for. You know, it can also be the difference between um, settling a catastrophic injury claim for the statutory minimum limits of a drunk driver. Uh, you know, we talk about a kid who likely would only have 25000 per person in liability coverage. But if the dram shop kicks in, then you know, I may have millions in coverage from a major business, an umbrella policy or a million-dollar policy if, you know, again, a catastrophic injury. Somebody's lost their life, lost a limb. You don't ignore that kind of thing. It's adding value to the case that's going to compensate your client more appropriately than 25000 would. Uh, and once the client signs off on a full release on their claim, if they tried to handle it on their own or they simply settle for the 25000 well, they can't go back then and look at respondeat superior or dram shop. It's too late. Right. So right. those are the questions that need to be asked early on yeah. and not ignored. Um, you know, if somebody wants to call me to talk about your claim and let's see what else might be out there for you, I'd be happy to do it. But the key is call me now, period, um, because those are the kind of things that can also potentially disappear or be more difficult to uncover on down the road. All right. Let's tell everybody listening, how can they call you? And more importantly, we've been answering questions today from uh, actual clients, but we also answer questions that have been submitted through your website. So I'm going to turn it over to you to tell everyone listening how they can reach Derek Hayes. Yes, and I actually have a few questions that are still out there that I've got to respond to probably in the next show that came from listeners. So if you do have a question, you can contact me through my website. It's Derek M. Hayes. It's spelled D-E-R-E-K, the letter M as in Matthew. Hayes is H-A-Y-S. So DerekMHayes.com. If you go to my website, you'll see a tab at the top where it says podcast. Simply click on that, and then there's a portion where you can submit your question all we want is your name and the question. You don't have to give me a last name. You can give me a first name or even initials, and I'll be happy to address your question, of course, on the air. You can also look at uh, my website and learn more about me and my firm. You can go to my uh, Instagram page, my uh, Facebook page, the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. That is Instagram and also Facebook. Uh, my phone numbers, it's 404-777-HURT. Uh, 
or 678-225-0970. So feel free to reach out to me. The initial consultation is always free, and I'll be happy to discuss all these issues with you and, and go through your case and see if there's something I can help you with. Now, you've got a place on your website where they can submit questions for the podcast, but there's also a place on the website where someone can submit if they have a potential uh, case. Yes, They yes. need to speak to you in more of a legal sense. Right, right. I actually have a f- couple of features there. One is a chat feature. So if you're on the website for a certain number of seconds, a chat feature will pop up. And I have an attendant that's there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that will field your question in a conversation, basically. doesn't commit you to anything. It's just to find out more about what you're uh, looking into and, and to get that information to me so we can then talk about whether or not I can help you. But there's also a tab there where you can email me directly. And I will be the one to receive your email. I will be the one to respond either to the email itself or hopefully you'll put a phone number there and I'll, I'll call you directly and we'll discuss uh, the facts of your potential claim. And again, if I can help you, I'll be happy to do so. All right. Well, as always, a very informative show. Um, I hope everyone listening got a lot out of today. I know that I did. So thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, nope, nope. What? Gotta stop you. I'm, I'm closing the show. You. It's time well, to go. <laughs> I realize that. Gotta go. But I gotta stop you in your tracks because we have a celebration today. I know. I knew it was coming. It is your birthday. Ah! We're going to celebrate all day. I know it was yesterday we celebrated. Today we celebrate. Tomorrow we celebrate. I don't sure if it's a birthday month, but today is technically your actual birthday. Today is the day. Yes. I'm well, a year birthday. older. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, you're not even 30, but celebrating several anniversaries, right? <laughs> I'm over 30. Well, I'm okay. over 40. Well, I well, wasn't going to say. Well, I know. Yeah. We've talked about you're over 40 and fabulous, so I guess we gave That's that right. away. That's right. That's right. And that is not a term that uh, Derek has come up with. That's actually through Best Self Magazine. Right, right. You yeah. were featured in Best yes, Self Magazine. Yes, over 40 over and 40 fabulous. Yes, in the city of Atlanta. So, so thank happy you. birthday. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Now I'm going to close the show. Now All you right. Can do it. Here we go. Thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X. (laughs) 